0: Hi, I'm Chris Hutchings and I'm your host. Welcome to the 10Q Interview podcast. In today's episode, I talked to Phil Hughes. He's a, a very, very good guy and very, very interesting and I think you are to enjoy this one. Um, if this is your first time with us at 10Q Interview, welcome. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to have a listen. I hope you enjoy this podcast. I'm sure you will. If you do, let me uh, and Phil know your favorite bits on social media at 10Q Interview everywhere. Don't forget to give us a follow there. Um, and I guess the most important request I've got of you is I'd love it if you hit that subscribe button, or follow button. I know different platforms have different, uh, methods, but you know, you know what to do. Um, now onto the podcast. Enjoy. Thanks for taking the time to speak to me today. I know you're a busy guy and I know that, um, you know, taking the time out to do stuff's not always, uh an easy, easy ask, and especially on a Monday. So I really <laughs> appreciate it. I will yeah, no kick problem. No I, will problem. Kick, I will kick off by question number one being, so you meet a stranger in a bar, pub, cafe, wherever. What is it, when they say, what do you do? What's your most likely to be your
1: answer? Oh, this is a good question, because this is something I actually struggle with a lot. So my default answer is I'm a software developer. But I end that with by trade. And then I normally say, and when they go, why? Why do you say by trade? Because can say, well, I'm trying to build my own products and software and services. Okay. And move from like a nine to five employee to um, like a business owner. So I always mention that I'm trying to build a business. So, but my, my stock answer is like I, I'm a software developer by trade.
0: Why wouldn't so. you do it the other way around and say you're, a biz, you're an entrepreneur?
1: This is, I think it comes to all about mindset. And I think this is something... I've I actually wrote down my answer as well to this and I, and I put at the end, I should say I'm a tech entrepreneur because I think it is all about how you identify yourself with yourself. So I do struggle with it, and I have tried it a few times and I've got from the stage of saying I'm just a software developer. So I'm a software developer, but I build my own stuff to try and build a business. So I'm trying to get to exactly what you say, identify as a tech entrepreneur. I think I should just start saying it the next time and then go like, all oh, right, cool. Well, so what do you do? So
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, what's the, what's the challenge there? What's the reason for having that? Um,
1: Honesty, I think for me, I don't want to completely lie out the bat and say like, Oh, it's a entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm actually still working at nine to five and I've already got like a handful of customers and it's not, you know, it's not on a a level that I'd like it to be. So I think it's more about just being a a bit honest and transparent to be honest.
0: Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, I guess so. I think we're probably, you know, we humans are probably in a boat where we, I don't know, especially tech, I guess you're not necessarily comfortable saying, you know, everyone assumes you're going to be Zuckerberg, don't they? Or, or, <laughs> yeah, or Jack yeah, Dorsey. Yeah. If you sound a tech entrepreneur, or they expect you to be, you know, a multimillionaire with huge uh,
1: rocket ship business. But I yeah, think turning I, up in a Lamborghini and all that lot in a big mansion. Yeah, they, that's the assumption. But it's weird. I think I don't know.
0: It depends what. So I guess, I guess your answer would depend a lot, like mine does, on on who you are and where you're being asked that question. Because there are a lot of places where people would understand a tech entrepreneur, or you, you know, you could even phrase it slightly back. Say, I have just launched my tech business, or whatever. I think.
1: Yeah, I think it, as well. It's I think it happened to me the other week over Easter weekend. I was out with some. So they were friends of a friends. So they knew me and they knew my wife and I'd only just met. i are like, oh, so what do you do? So then I was like, well, I'm a software developer, but I want to build my up thing. So I think right. you, you, you've you got a good answer there. where let's okay. say if I went to a meetup in Manchester, um, which is not far from me, and just no one knew me, just introduced myself as a tech entrepreneur and get over that sort of self-deprecating mentality, I guess, that, that uh, we tend to have, especially, like coming from a tech background and being British, <laughs> there's not much of a you don't bang your own drum very much. I was just
0: going to so. say the Britishness thing about self-deprecation. <laughs> um, one of, one of my podcasts last week, she she was an Australian and she said that she goes, "Oh, you Brits are so bad at bragging about yourselves." Or
1: it's funny, oh, isn't god, it? Oh god, yeah, yeah, it's got as well, and it's funny as well. I think it's it's regional as well. So I always remember being on um looking for a new job and a recruiter from I think he might have been London where he was definitely down south rang right. me and was like oh how did it go how did it go and I was like yeah yeah it was all right yeah and he's like oh you bloody northerners that's all you give me he said you're not giving me whether it's good or it's bad he said give him <sighs> me, it give him me something not just like you know yeah it's all right so I think yeah it gets even like regional depending on where, where you brought up and stuff so yeah it can be difficult yeah
0: I suppose <laughs> I mean, it's, it's interesting you're a tech person up north because I, I suspect a lot of people wrongly or rightly i don't know assume that you know first off is silicon valley where you know if you work in tech you work in silicon valley and then i guess if you're not and you, but it's like city hubs right working in and around london is i mean have you have you always lived up that way
1: yeah yeah so i'm from um a town called bolton originally um and then you moved to manchester for university and then stayed in manchester um, till 2011, then I bought a house in a um, I don't know, a city or a town in a town just south of Manchester called Stockport. So I jumped around a little bit in the northwest, yeah. but yes, it stayed really close to my roots. Um, but going back to that that comment, I think it's funny that people presume that. So Manchester is becoming quite a bit of a tech hub, and even from the sort of like like I said, the early 2010s, they try to promote the fact that there is a lot of Tech-based industry around there, and because it's in the centre, like the centre of the UK, there's a lot of hosting providers and technology companies sort of trying to get in around in there. And the university campuses are great for sort of promoting that. So I think it is becoming a little bit less London-centric, especially for certain industries.
0: Oh yeah, I think in even in marketing, you're seeing the same thing.
1: Yeah. Whereas not
0: that long ago, if you didn't work, if you worked in marketing, you worked in London, and that was it. But now, I I mean, you could probably even argue that Manchester, Sheffield, Newcastle, Leeds have probably got some of the stronger marketing companies in the country. Um, Yeah, yeah. But Yeah, definitely. I guess with the prices that you pay in and around London, it's not really surprising, is it? From a business owner's perspective, at least.
1: No, no, not at all. And I I think there is a little bit of... um, There's a little bit of like sort of loggerheads coming on at the minute. So the BBC has moved to Salford Keys. Uh, not far from Manchester and they've re- really helped renovate that area. But there is this sort of log ahead of everyone's moving up from London, raising the prices and a lot of the people who's brought up in the area, even like with my hometown, Bolton's had like a knock on effect that people are moving out there because a little bit more rural and a little bit towards the countryside. Um, and yeah, it's bumping the prices up. So yeah, even even this spread of sort of industry and, and technology and different businesses, it does does have this little bit of a knocking effect and all this butting heads between the community and the people moving in so yeah it's 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 good and bad in in the same things but for me from my point of view it's brilliant because obviously i'm in the the industry so i i get the i get the the pros of the yeah the sort of the the moves that are happening
0: so okay so you talked about the industry you're in you talked about being from bolton originally Mm -hmm. when you were a kid what did you want to be
1: when you grew up um, so I'm an 80s kid, so I was born in 1980, and I can't remember when it quite started, but I think there was sort of a little bit of like uh, the space race, suddenly hit again in the 80s, and I remember wanting to be an astronaut um, from quite a young age, because the first time I went abroad, I was I was about nine years old, eight, nine, and that was back in 1989, mm. and we did the old, um, first time abroad, we did the old Florida thing, and Disney world and all that lot. But we, we actually went on a, I think it was on a course trip. It took quite a while. And they took us to the the viewing platform for the space center Kennedy space center and seeing the rocket on there and stuff. So I think I was uh, excited from like the age of six or seven about that. And then eight, nine, seeing that you kind of like, yeah, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be an astronaut. So yeah, that was, it's really
0: funny. You say that I, as I was sort of prepping questions for this, you know, launching this podcast, I ran through them with my wife and now, we've been together quite a while now and I never knew this about her, but she also wanted to be an astronaut. And the reason she wanted to be an astronaut because when she was young, she also went to Florida with her <laughs> parents and she actually watched a rocket launch.
1: Oh, did she? Amazing, yeah. amazing.
0: And she's like, yeah. oh, so after that, I wanted to be an astronaut. I was like, what? I never do that about you. <laughs> so it's funny you say that. It's exactly the same answer.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's such a kind of, it felt like a bit of a stock answer as well, but it, it is something that, yeah, I just remember I don't remember like kids at school drawing rocket ships and stuff. yeah, And things like that. So I don't I don't know whether it's um as well coming up like say being an eighties kid and like just being obsessed with Star Wars and there's right. kind of this knock-on effect of of, of that and sort of translating into the real world, what would that look like? And it was like, well it's gonna be an astronaut. So mm. Yeah. <laughs> did, so, you, did you ever go for it? Or is it did you No, never... no, no. I think oh. I think the I was going to be saying really awful. The weight of life and the teenage years, I think, I've become very bit more. Uh, I'm quite a realist um, naturally, so I think that sort of kicked in when I got to my teens and was a okay. bit more, a bit more realistic and never never went down that route. But yeah, as a kid, yeah, I dreamed of being an astronaut and and yeah, that that. Cause I can't remember as well, cause I've been. It's funny why I saw the rocket launch. I don't know whether we went and we were potentially going to see one. But again, like the weather conditions can change so rapidly they delay it, don't they?
0: Yeah, she, and... she said that, that they missed the one they originally went to see. got can... I'm sure she said this, they got pushed two days. And luckily, I guess
1: they were still abroad. Still about. Yeah, because yeah, I remember going back, um, I think it was about 2011 again. I think we went quite late in the year, a couple of friends just as a last minute thing. We got like a, a villa there and 10 days out there. And there was, it, there was one sat on the rocket pad again, large pad. Okay. And they were they were saying that they might be able to do it in the time window where we were there. Um, but then some storms started coming in and it all got cancelled and pushed back. So it's it's funny that we went with no idea that anything's gonna be happening and they've been pushing it back, pushing it back, and they like we had like a three day window that could potentially happen, but then they scrapped it. So yeah, it's uh it's a it's a really I wanna don't I want to say a lucky thing t- to see, but you can have your hopes up, it can just get scrapped straight while you're over there. So yeah, she was very lucky to see it.
0: Yeah. It's, it's strange, isn't it? I think I mean I'm I'm just a smidge older than you. But it's right what you said earlier about um about the whole space stuff when we were kids. It was huge, right? It was on T V yeah, at yeah. the time. Yeah, it was um, weird. But then it then it I'm sure it didn't, I'm sure there's still stuff going on, but it seems like it just disappeared and it didn't really happen for for years and years and years and years might just be that i wasn't paying attention to it i don't know but and then obviously elon musk comes around with spacex yeah, yeah. and bezos and branson etc and all of a sudden now it's like a proper space race again and who can get up there <laughs> and, and the stuff they're doing compared to you know like sort of um where their rockets they're relaunching and landing them and stuff is is incredible isn't
1: it it is as well and i think that's why i'm just wondering it's a bit strange because if you think about when Man landed on the moon in like, was it the late 60s? Yeah. And then obviously David Bowie started recording records about it and that became really popular. And I think it was because in the 80s it come back round is exactly because you've said about the the reusable rockets. I think, wasn't it the Challenger? Or, it was the first one that they started coming back and landing with. And I think that's the one that we saw on the launch pad. So okay. I think, I wonder whether that's the sort of thing that kind of restarted it, that it wasn't this sort of, um, yeah they're coming down in a little capsule and you're just waiting for them to land in the middle of the Pacific or whatever mm. There was this sort of buzz around being able to to come back on this this ship that's so gone up so I think that's sort of that's what stuck with me in sort of the, the mid-eight I might be wrong with the times on that but yeah I'm sure it was that it was definitely that sort of thing that really that sparked my interest anyway oh, yeah. yeah that and Star Wars that and Star Wars of course of course <laughs>
0: um, okay so moving on a little bit then what would you say has been uh one of the most pivotal moments in your life
1: oh um for me i think it's well it's led me onto this path now we talked about tech entrepreneurship um like i said got into my teens and stuff i was very sort of design focused and and technical drawing and all that sort so i was going to go down the route of sort of design construction design architecture okay um but then in sort of middle late teens, early twenties, I was just I was just unhappy basically. Re- really sort of miserable, um, in a in a bit of a bad place. And I just decided to go to night school to try and sort of enhance the design thing. Okay. But I just saw this HNC in computing there and I'd always had a computer, I'd always been good on computers. And the reason I didn't go did do it at college is I remember going to college for this open night going to the computing sort of a level that they're doing and there's like oh it's two to a computer but like half the computers are broke so it's three to a computer and i was like but my pc home's better than that so what's the point of me doing this stupid A level
0: yeah
1: when you're not going to be teaching anything and there's probably going to be arguing about. so i just was like completely scrapped it and thought right there's not really you know naively then you know just before the uh, the doc the you know the dot com bubble burst in 99 and this was sort of like 96 97 I didn't really think it was it was going to be a thing, you know, um, for for a career path. Yeah. But then, sort of getting to like a few years later, twenty, twenty-one, being pretty unhappy, um, just starting this HNC at night school, took two years, did that, enjoyed it, challenged myself, really got into programming, um, and then at twenty-three, yeah, I just quit my job. I think a job of like five years. Quit my job, sold. I don't saved up and bought a little MX five sports car. Sold a sports car. Nice. Um,
0: and what, just what put all the bu- money.
1: What were you doing? What job was that? I was, at that point, I was a payroll clerk. Oh, wow. So, I'd, what I'd done, I'd, I'd gone, my idea was not to go to college or university, after college, not go to university, but go and work for like a construction company in sort of the treasury and account section. Because okay. like this admin bot as well, like being the stationary lad and, and sorting the post out and all this lot and then using sort of my design background at A level to, to get a job in that um and then yeah that didn't didn't sort of come to fruition and then that just kind of like flipped around in this company because it was quite a big construction company and the guy who was the head of the payroll department was like look you're a great guy we love you We're hard worker come and work for me so i thought i'd do that and he's like i'm gonna retire him for years you know come and just replace me and so i just went in this like corporate world um and just hated it i was just miserable i absolutely hated it it wasn't challenging it you know, i just I, just hated every minute of it i'm looking back but yeah so it led me to university which at 23 so i turned 23 in the july and then so this was july 2003 then in the september started university as a mature student oh wow so that was that was amazing and yeah it's the best decision because it's led me to where i am now um i loved every minute of uni i hated school hated college loved every minute of uni do you think um, that's
0: because you were a little bit older and hadn't had a look at the, the real world.
1: Yeah, I think I think it is. I think being in, working for five years and seeing what it's like, uh, even even the first sure year of uni, a lot of the course mates were like, oh, you've just got to scrape 40%, it doesn't matter. Then you go on the second year, it do not go towards your end results. But I was always, yeah, I'd go back to my parents at Friday night sometimes and I'd, I'd, I'd start like revising and writing things out and going through it and like, Sat with me, you know, my dad'd have a beer, pass me a beer, he'd go and watch a bit of tea, and it'd be like half eight at night, and I'm, I'm going for all this homework or whatever, mm. or, or just revising and getting things into my brain. He's like, and he, like, my dad's not very open about stuff, but he said, "Look, well, I'm proud of you doing this because you know you're obviously, you're going for it and committing to it, and and you know you could be a, sat watching football with me on a Friday night, but you, you're actually committing to it, and that's purely exactly what you said, seeing what the real world's like. Um, yeah, you, I did commit to it a lot more and. And I think as well the difference between university and school and college I think school and college you are on someone else's agenda university it was like you're here if you want to do it go and do it you, there's a there's what I can't even remember like four or five maybe six hours tops of lectures yeah that's all you need to commit to the rest of it is up to you and I think the the sort of autonomy and the freedom to do that on my schedule just really appealed to me I think that's one of the reasons I loved it yeah
0: it's funny I, I didn't go to university either and one of the main reasons I didn't go was because I knew that essentially it'd be a waste of time. That I wouldn't, um, I'd have done the bare minimum. I wouldn't have. Right. And, you know, for the back then, similar sort of time to you, I so thought it was three years doing this. I, I thought I'd rather just get a job and be further down the road. And, and funnily enough, so I, I, I did get a job. But I also, I then applied to university in 2006, seven. I got offered a spot. And I was just like, oh, I mean, I, was, I would have been a very mature student then. <laughs> but like you, I was like, oh, I, I wanted to do it and I wanted to commit to it. I didn't end up going in the end. Um, but I think, yeah, I think there's a huge value in doing it at a later date or a bit yeah, older. Because, yeah, your priorities are different, right? Your reasons for doing it are different. And I think that, you know, a lot of people say university is a waste of time. And, and I'm not going to weigh in on that argument now because it, it's, it's you know it's about me and you talking. And I think, but yeah. but what I think is, I think it would be less of a perceived waste of time. I will say, if people were going later down the line and they were doing it for reasons that are different because to... mm-hmm. the other thing is what I don't understand, and I, I'm trying not to get on a soapbox here. but <laughs> <laughs> The other thing I don't understand is it is hard to make that decision about your future. I mean, you get it with GCSEs and you get it with your A-levels and then your degree is like, it, it's a very easy way to pigeonhole yourself at a stage now. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. I, sorry to go and finish, Chris. No, no, no. I've got a lot to say about I, this, actually. <laughs> no, all, that's all I was going to say is it's hard to pigeon yourself now. And I and I look back on, um, you know, what, what I thought, I mean, look, I mean, you and I are a similar sort of age, I guess. So the jobs we are doing now, they weren't even around back, you know, when we were at school. Of course. And, and I imagine that, you know, when my kids grow up, the jobs they'll end up doing potentially won't be something that's around now. So, yeah, it's, uh, I find it hard when you sort of put yourself in a position that yeah. you have to then go, right, okay, you're 17, 18, 19, whatever. And, you know, and you say, right, you, you almost destined your path. Like my wife's a good example she did law uh, and you know she's a solicitor 26 something years later it's yeah it's incredible really that you make that big such a big decision at such an immature mind
1: it's funny you say this because we've had this conversation recently with um our friends yes yeah, so i don't want to give too much away because i want to be sensitive to the privacy but there's there's people coming up to university age or starting university yeah. And they've been through the school thing and they feel so much pressure now from society, so much pressure to get this decision right. And the stress yeah. that we've seen in, in, in and in a friend we've got and, and you know, her daughter, especially at the daughter that's going through university, the pressure to make the right decision at college, make the right decision, even at GCSEs, because you have to do the right GCSEs on your yeah. options to then go down the career path. And, she was getting a bit worried about it. And like my wife, who's at like, some age towards, was like, she's, I don't even know what I wanna do now. And I said, well, look at me, I've flipped between so many software products, so many companies, you know, at 23, I went to university to then get a career in software, but I don't wanna be in the corporate world. And so I said, there's so much pressure. And I said, genuinely, you might get to 40, year old, 40 years old and still not be 100% sure whether something's right for you. So yeah. I, I think the, the pressure to go to university and to pick something, especially someone like you say, like your wife, law or what I taught you doing, architecture, they're like five, six years of your life. Yeah. And it's such a, a, a big waste when that, you know, that could, that five years could be better spent flipping between them. Um, well, so yeah, your, it's, it's a massive decision.
0: And that's not even taking into account the financial aspect of it. Oh guess, God. You know, for your for your friend's daughter, like, I mean, I know again, I'm speaking like an idiot here because I don't even know what the number is these days, but I know it's more, a lot more than when we were younger, right? And so, you, a you got to make the right decision because just life benefits, but then you also got to make it from a financial perspective, right? I mean, it must be horrendous. How many people like are locked into a degree they don't want to do just because they somehow got the money, you know, whether their parents or, or grandparents or whatever stumped up the money or borrowed it, you know, that's,
1: a, that's well, it that must be a horrible position to be in. We, we we went to a football match actually and got chatting to this young lad that was on the train with us and he was in his final year of a politics degree, which was, a, I think it was a three-year or four-year course. Okay. And he said to we'd both been to university and he said, what well, what what do you think? Should I just get a job straight away? I'm not sure what I want to do. I want to get this job straight away, but I am toying with going with 12 months, maybe two years of traveling and I just want to go traveling. He's like, why? I said, how much debt are you in? And I come away with I was one of the first sort of people to start and pay fees, and I okay. think it was eleven hundred quid. But because I went as a mature student, that I didn't have to pay that; that was paid on my behalf. And then I got a full loan amount every year, which was four thousand pounds. So I come away with twelve grams worth of debt and thought, bloody hell, that's a lot of money. Um, and when I'm speaking to this lad, that's one year, 50, isn't it? These days, he had fifty grams worth of debt, and I was like, mate, just go travelling. And he's like, yeah, but I've got this 50 grand worth of debt. I said, the debt's not going anywhere. The government and these student loan companies are going to make sure of that. Just go and enjoy yourself because once you're strapped in to paying that back and you end up with a mortgage on top of it and all this other stuff that comes with it, Mm. you'll have regretted it. So go and do that now. And he said, like, you've done a politics degree, but you don't know what that's going to lead you. Just go and enjoy yourself. So that was my, my advice. And when I heard it was 50 grand, I was completely shocked because, like I said, when I went... In 2003, the fees were just over a thousand pounds a year.
0: Yeah, I don't know
1: what it is now, but then me, when my cousin went ten years after me, um yeah, so he went 18, so he's ten years younger than me. So he was one of the first people to pay the nine grand, which was nine grand a year for a course that you don't know whether you're going to be, you're going to like, yeah. and yeah, so you, you're instantly, you know, like you say, like you're instantly tied into sort of forty grand worth of debt. Let's say you do a four year course, forty grand worth of debt. And then that's not even your living costs yet or whatever you need to to live. So you get loans and loans and loans on top of that. It's crazy. So yeah, people got to weigh up. The only thing I I would say about university, and I've said this to, to again, a family, um, one of my family is toying with going. And he's like, ah, but I don't know. And I said, the only thing for me that's a real, not because it's led me to where I am, but um, just this last Thursday, I went out with a friend and his girlfriend, me and my wife went up with him. and he's. he's like the third person I ever met at university
0: okay. and he was, an
1: usher, he was an usher at my wedding and we're going down to London in June and we're going to see a friend and she's got she's married now got four kids and she's the first person I met at university and she was at my wedding so like the relationships I've yeah. made from being at university and you've been in this like halls of residence together and living together and everything you get these friendships for life and we've not we've not really spoken since before the pandemic i think they come up in 2019 in the summer of 2019 we've not really spoken she's had two kids since we've seen her but we're so excited to go and see her because it's like them three years won't have happened if you know what i mean you'll just be straight like how are you and just just and it's always been like that. you might not see each other for six months but that relationship that you've got purely from being at universities, it's got a really good, strong bond. So that's one of the the benefits I've had from it.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a sign of a good friendship that, I mean, I I will counter that by saying, and I do agree, because sometimes my biggest regrets are the network that I haven't got from being at university. But then I always think back and go, actually, I've got a similar network of people that I met when I was working straight after school. Yeah, exactly. and And a lot of them I'm still friends with. So it is a good point, but there are definitely swings around, something I'm just thinking of, uh, the next question actually kind of ties in, you know you you giving advice to your friends and to <laughs> the guy on the train what's one of the best pieces of advice you've ever
1: received? Oh, I struggle with this because I don't think there's anything there's never been really anything especially as an adult that's ever really stuck with me from a person, it's always been from like books and stuff that I've learned. but one thing and I don't know whether you commented on this recently, but I did a tweet and a, a LinkedIn post about this. One thing that always stuck with me was my grandpa, so my dad's dad. Mm. Um, so when we went to Florida, actually, we lost him while we was in Florida. So I about eight years old, I lost my grandpa. It was okay. a big part of my life. But he would be leaving our house and he'd just go, Phil, what's the three C's? And I'd go, confidence, concentration, courage. So he kind of drilled into me. This thing was like, I don't know if it's a piece of advice or not, but he always used to say, if you want to be good at anything, the key to success or succeeding at something is the three C's. Just remember the three C's. And it was confidence, concentration, courage. I mean,
0: that sounds like pretty sound advice to me.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So that, that's when you, when, when you asked about that question, the only one I could ever really think that's ever stuck with me that I do sometimes when you're struggling or um, I've got it written on a post-it note stuck on my monitor in front of me, actually okay so that's this one of the things that I do that someone's told me and sort of drilled into me that I, I really sort of come back to and think about when I'm struggling and go <clears throat> right so if you're feeling down about something or oh I can't do this when you go well the second sees confidence so just have confidence in yourself sorry the first sees confidence in yourself so go yeah. and do that then then bring in the second one and do uh, concentrate on it and, and start moving forward and I think especially the one. Like we were chatting about starting podcasts and stuff. I think the third one has been really key for me over the past few years is the courage of just like getting out of your comfort zone and start doing stuff. So yeah. it's really strong advice. So that's the one that's really, really always stuck with me. Always I, stuck with me.
0: I think it's great advice. And I just, it's weird you bring that up because there's, there's things that happened to me over the weekend with my daughter, she's four and everything you just said, the confidence, the courage, concentrate, I think, I'm gonna might be pinching that from your from oh definitely your grandfather definitely definitely great love that that's um very uh, beneficial something to take away for a lot of people I think there um let's talk about lessons you've learned in life what would you say has been one of kind of the
1: or some of the most valuable um oh god lessons in life I think um one one thing I've learned recently so. I'll go to deep in one, the one I really want to talk about. I think that some I've learned over the years, but I've always been key to sort of, sort of your well-being is um, fitness and health. So I've always been trying to go to the gym, trying to eat healthily, even though I struggle with it and it's hard with consistency. So that's one thing that I think is a big lesson for me. But okay. um, one thing I'm trying to do at the minute, which I think I'm learning and... It's quite a lot, especially for men at the minute. is sort of mental health because it's always been a big sort of taboo subject to not, not mentioned.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I think the pandemic has actually opened up a can of worms in terms of people's mental health. So, one thing I've learnt recent, really, really recently, actually, is for I do an hour of exercise in the morning, and I do a, an hour of meditation afterwards to try and just sort out sort of that balance. So you re, a lot of people focus on their well being. Every from day. physical, every day I'm trying to do that. Yeah. Wow. So you, so this is what the the thing I was wondering is it a balance because your brain affects your physiology, your physiology affects your brain. But yep. what I've been doing for years is I've been doing say a an now and now a twenty exercise, and before that I'd do ten minutes meditation, or I'd do ten minutes after, or I go, oh I've not got time to do the meditation, I want to get on with it. Okay. So I was like, am I completely out of balance? And I read a book called um, have You Heard of Naval Ravikant
0: yeah of course
1: yeah so i read his book the i thought well he didn't write it so it's a gentleman he works with and it's the almanac the almanac of naval yep. Ravikant, yep. which is just basically all these podcast episodes condensed into a book and he just mentioned it that meditation he said the best thing to do is just lie there for an hour a day for 60 days and don't even do any sort of meditation just let your thoughts come and go and he said, it's like going to inbox zero for your brain. Any issues that you've had in the past, all this like, you, you kind of don't try and deal with them, just observe them, let them come and go. And I was just like, that's interesting. Cause I'm trying to do an hour of exercise. Do I take this guy's advice and do an hour of meditation to try and you've worked on your physiology and you've worked on your mental state first thing in the morning and yeah, it has, it has been a, a big impact. So how, yeah. how long
0: have you, how long have you been doing that?
1: So I've been doing that since um, I actually recorded the date when I started it. Just bear with me a second. 21st of March was the first day I did it this okay,
0: year. Okay. So you're coming up on 60 days then not far.
1: 60 days. i am not been as consistent as what he would said. So I'm pretty bad at weekends. And like we've had a lot of bank holidays and holidays, aren't we, in the UK. So yeah. you, you do, you do get caught up with it, but I'm trying to not. And I think one of the things I saw it on Gary, Gary V as well recently on, and Instagram put that like people are doing it for sort of a, um, the 10 minutes meditation for sort of a, um, a reward or like a pat on the back, not for the actual process of it. It's kind of like an achievement thing. It's like, yeah, I've got to live. Exactly. And I kind of felt I was getting into that and I was using an app, which is brilliant, but what they did is they'd show you your streaks as well. So like you completed the whole month and you're kind of like stressing about it. Um, oh yeah, right, oh, it's a Sunday, I've not done it, I normally it's a Sunday, I've got to go meditate at some point. And I was getting really, really caught up on just doing a meditation purely to tick this box, instead of going, right, well actually, if I do four, even if I don't do the full hour, because sometimes your brain, especially if you've got things to do that day, the brain will kick in so much, and I'll just look, oh, you've done 35 minutes. So but talk, it feels
0: talk, talk, that... me, talk me through it then, so you,
1: you get up in the morning. So I get up in the morning, I... Do, some, do exercise straight away. Right. Then I'll stretch.
0: Okay. And then I'll have
1: some food yeah. um, to refuel after the exercise. And then I actually go and do, so it's he, he's funny, he's becoming really popular at the minute. So, you know, Wim Hof is now on the BBC. Yeah. So Naval Ravikant mentions Wim Hof breathing. So I'll do 10 minutes of Wim Hof breathing. Um, well, so what do YouTube. you do? You
0: go, you go and lie upstairs back on your bed or you're on the, a mat somewhere? a great life
1: hack i bought an acupuncture mat which okay. is like a, a little sponge thing and it's got all these like they're like circular dials and they've got these these plastic pins on them and it comes with a cushion okay. and again i think what i was doing I had i had like back trouble and sort of stiff muscles I'm like lie on this but you'd lie on it for 10 minutes but it isn't necessarily enough so i'll lie on that for an hour okay. so that's helped with all sorts of injuries and back flexibility and muscles and being more relaxed and not as stiff
0: this is like the atomic habits of stringing uh, a couple of habits together, right?
1: Exactly, yeah. Exactly, life hacking. Um, so you see, i to lie on that, and I'll do this Wim Hof breathing <clears throat> for 10 minutes, and then I try and set 45 minutes on my phone and try and do the 45 minutes. So it's, it's not necessarily full hour, but between, so no, like... So
0: no music or, like, um, guidance or anything like that. You just lie there, eyes closed.
1: Yeah, just doing... So I've learned a few techniques, so I just, I'll just pick a technique or what I generally do is when I'm breathing in, I'll just say to myself, breathing in and when I'm breathing out, I'll just say breathing out and just leave that. And then if things start coming to you and your, your mind starts wandering, mm-hmm. just just let it happen and then try and come back to yourself. And I have had some sort of weird, weird little things happen. So there was one time in mind, just it felt like I was in Harry Potter, you know, I've seen a Harry Potter with a flying over lake on a broomstick okay. or something. So it was kind of like, I was like that without the broomstick. And then a guy turned up on a jet pack and I'm like, why is this? What's what, I'm meditating <laughs> in this weird sort of Harry Potter jetpack? I don't know six million dollar man things going on. It's pretty weird. Um, but then yeah, you just kind of kind of let it happen. So it must be a reason you sort of your brain's sort of just how, I don't know processing stuff. So yeah, how did so you?
0: Um, I'm kind of interested. Do you? I I'm assuming. Tell me if I'm wrong. But do you do you find it easier now than you when you started?
1: Was it was it a challenge? Um, yes. When I first ever started, oh, it's years ago now. Because I think I tried to do it, and I think so. I did used to do guided, um, and that's taught me a lot of techniques and like body scanning and things like that. So it has been good to do that. But again, I think because it was only ten minutes, so you could do it longer. Yeah. Um, and they'd always save your mind wandered. They'd suddenly chime in and like bring you back, which is good. But I think this one. Again, I think it's more the length of it. So I think sometimes, even if you do like a 15 minutes one, are you really getting into enough time for it to give you the benefit? So I think I have struggled with it, and you do sometimes wonder. And even with trying to do this, this like 50, 45, 50 an hour, sometimes I'll just get up at like right. I just, I just, I can't lie here anymore. My mind's wandering. Like one day I got a little bit of numbness in my leg. I was like, why why is this happening? And I was like, right, I just need to go on with my day. Um, And I've done actually, it felt I'd only done like 10 minutes, but I've done 35 minutes. Okay. So then I'm not beating myself up to say you've not done the hour. You've actually done a really substantial amount for that day. And I always say to my wife and a few other friends, the best workouts are the ones that are really difficult and you don't want to be there and do it. And I think I'm finding that with this meditation that, if you can't actually lie there any longer, and it's difficult, and you need to get on with the day, it'll still be good because you've done thirty-five minutes when perhaps you wouldn't have done because
0: you well, just like, want to get like, on with stuff. It's yeah. like the whole moonshot methodology, isn't it? You know, aim for the moon, and if you don't quite get there, then you're still a lot further down the road than you oh, would of course, been if you yeah. hadn't tried. So, yeah, so, ne- so nearly sixty days then in this
1: this current. Uh, and have you noticed a, a change? My mood's gone up. Yeah, the mood's gone up so oh, okay. i do, do do feel a little bit happier not that i was miserable or anything but i do feel that um and it's th- things as well that i've noticed as well it's kind of and when i first started doing the meditation they did talk about things like your empathy improves and i do feel that that and sort of that side of myself improved now i don't know whether that's from what years of doing it yeah and maybe that's just a compounding thing but yeah it, it is sort of things like that 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 you do and sort of the self-talk's a little bit better and, and that's something i'm working on all the time anyway and i've read a lot of books about it, but i think yeah it, it has it has been beneficial um and just learning not to beat yourself up if you don't do something and <clears throat> and if you miss a day don't beat yourself up go right so tomorrow i need to get back onto it and and, and start again and try and commit to it so i think i think it's been a, a good process don't, don't miss twice don't miss twice yeah don't miss yeah. twice yeah. Um, yeah. So that's that's something that I've learned quite recently and been doing, but I don't think that's the the one I was going to talk about. Actually, we went off on a bit of a tangent. But uh,
0: I, I find I find meditation fascinating. I think it's kind of mad how many people talk about the benefits of it. And yeah. I, it's funny actually. You were talking about the 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 apps and the gamification of it. I used to use Calm. I think I've used Calm, and I think I've used.
1: Um... That's what I started with, and I, I still pay for. It. I think it's the best one. I've forgotten what the other one's called now, but
0: I, I I was the same. I was getting to the point where I was sitting there, and I just couldn't couldn't focus. And I think that, but where I where I'm different in a little bit, like so I run a lot, and that for me, running and swimming is my meditation. Like I can just swimming in particular, I find it amazing. Like I'll just, especially if I know what I'm doing. Like if I've got to do like a k or one and a half k or whatever, you know, it's just head down and just go. And obviously. I tried a little bit, I had sort of a waterproof MP three player and I was listening to podcasts and stuff, but it's just it's not quite right. It's hard the technology, to say, yeah. the technology's not quite there that makes it good yet. But I just yeah, that's for me, that's my mind clearance thing. And I think I think there's a lot to be said for meditation. A lot of people, you know, maybe think they should do it, don't know how to do it. And but I think different things work for different people. Of course, yeah. And of course. I think that's one of the key things, but that's amazing. So, it's, it's, yeah, I don't know if I could. I don't know if I could lie still for an hour and just. I don't know, not fall asleep or not just. Uh,
1: that's why I have food before I do it. I have food and a coffee because I've, I've been okay. worried about that same thing. So I have a coffee, prep my food, have a bit of food, and then and then go go and do it. So at least you kind of got. If you do not off early on, let's say the first 10, 20 minutes, the caffeine will eventually kick in, and then you will come round and you're probably still 30 minutes in or whatever. So whatever. <laughs> that's that's my thought on it. It's all these like little life hacks I'm trying to stitch together. So Atomic Habits, yeah, definitely. That's
0: fascinating. Maybe yeah. I'll give it a go. And I'm definitely yeah. just thinking about one of those mats as well. Um, okay, next question. And I know we've kind
1: of talked sorry, about Sorry, sorry, can I just interrupt? That wasn't yeah, the yeah. most valuable lesson, I don't think. Oh, okay. I think I went go off on. on a bit of a tangent, but I think for me, the one thing that I think it's helped with my mental state as well is to... And it's something that Gary Vee sort of pipes on about and other people as well. It's just about taking responsibility for yourself and uh, kind of getting this mindset that no one's coming to save you. Your nine to five won't help you. The government are actually against you. You can't rely on your pension. And I think that's something that was a little bit, So, so before the lockdown, I read a few books that just basically mentioned this. And I think that's been the biggest life lesson for me recently has been, um, and I think this one of the things that started the business um, and really drove it forward is to just be like, okay, you can't rely on anything other than yourself. So just take, respons- take responsibility for your actions and take responsibility for how you want things to be in your life to be. And I think that's been a big mindset switch. And I think it goes into back to the, the meditation as well, sort of working on yourself and, and having this, sort of responsibility and reliability on one on yourself um yeah. instead of oh well you're my job Yeah, I'm offset you should pay me or well I'm 65 now I want a handout or I I can't work I've injured myself badly you know the doctors signed me off oh well it's like peanuts well what about my mortgage and my bills were tough so I think having that sort of that's been the biggest lesson I've had over the past few years is the taking responsibility for everything in your life.
0: And you said you said you read that about that in a book?
1: Yeah, so it was so there's a gentleman called MJ DeMarco, Um yeah. and the first book I read, and it's a very scammy title, it's called The Fast Lane Millionaire. Okay. Uh, sorry, the million the millionaire Fast Lane. Right. Okay. Um and he goes on about things like this. And he got he goes on about um, sort of taking responsibility and not relying on governments and your job and everything. And it's a, about entrepreneurship. And then he did a follow up book called, called Unscripted, which is the first sort of third of the book is purely just having a go at society and all these things. And, and it, it was very, very interesting, a little bit eye opening his views. Um, yeah. And then off the back of that, he's got this framework around entrepreneurship and building businesses and basically he talks about getting to this sort of level of having like 10 million pounds or $10 million and then structuring your life around that, that then supports you and your family for the rest of the life and having these, you know, not relying on debt or, or things like that. So, so then two books, I read like, I read the millionaire fast thing Cause I saw it on Instagram or something, someone was promoting it and then Strength to unscripted. Um, yeah. And then sort of like when we see people like Gary V going, um, Take, take full responsibility and, and point the finger to yourself instead of everyone else, you know. Um, and even years ago, I read this book uh, called The Pl- Primal Blueprint, which is like a diet and health book. Right. And he, he, that gentleman, even going back to his book, goes on about it, he says like, if you're in a traffic jam and the car behind you runs into the back of you, you gotta take responsibility for being in front of that car on that specific time. So you're not completely blameless, you're there. So take responsibility for you being on that street at that time as well, so it, it's it's something that I've, I've I've learned of of no matter what happens, you take full responsibility regardless of whether it's your fault or not. And I think yeah. it's a, it's been a bit of a I won't say a game changer, but it has it has sort of opened my eyes to other things and 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 sort of taken the safety net away. Like let's just say and
0: yeah, Jake Humphrey talks about it a lot on his part on his podcast. Does he? yeah a lot he he uses the catchphrase it it's not your fault but it is your responsibility and it's to exactly your point something might not something might happen and you know it might not be you who caused it but you still got to deal with it yeah and and i think it's it's interesting because i think it's interesting that you found this on your own by by reading and stuff because i think most times when people come to this realization it's because something's happened that's like put them in a position they don't want to be in whether that's losing a job or you know losing a loved one or whatever whatever it is, and then and then they find that, and then they have to deal with it that way. So it's interesting that you found it on your own without the the, the stresses, the, I guess.
1: Yeah, the the yeah, having something really, yeah, having the negativity that come around with it, and then trying to make turn it into a positive. I think yeah, there's this. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. I think he's given me a little bit of like a framework and a a bit of a mindset for touch wood nothing will. But if something does bad does happen, you can sort of deal with it a little bit better than perhaps having to learn it on the fly.
0: I think it's key. I think you know you sort of go back a generation, our parents' generation, and you know people had that job for life, and they did get the good pension, and they did get the you know the reassurance. But that's gone now, right? Oh, of course, yeah. There's there's people who work for companies and you know, they'll talk about being employed as opposed to being freelance because it's less risky, but it's not, you know, a company could go under tomorrow and all of a sudden you're out of a job. And I think that it's funny. I'm in the similar boat to you. I think that and weirdly, actually, I think there's better opportunities out there to be had on your, on your own. And, and I know the term side hustle gets <laughs> a lot of grief in the wrong circles or, yeah. um, you know, lauded about too often, but You know, we've never been in a position in society where we've had so much resource and information and technology at our fingertips for you know costs that are fractional to what you know, like we, you know, you and I are talking on computers from different ends of the country. Uh, It's flawless. We're talking in I don't know four K, four K imagery with you know, like it wasn't that long ago. BBC didn't even have access to 4k cameras and you know and now it's I don't know it's it's fascinating what's out there now and I think that to your point you can be in charge of your own destiny yeah and there are a lot more avenues going back to what you're talking about about the university and careers and whatever there are a lot more avenues to be in charge of your destiny and to to make it what you want
1: oh yeah yeah I completely agree I think I've got this sort of utopian vision that I've had I've had just before the pandemic actually. Um and I think the pandemic's fast forward at age where no one works for anyone, but everyone works for everyone else. So like for me, let's say my software development background, I just go and work with loads of different people that need that resource and you're paid more than you probably would be getting at the salary and you've just got this endless stream of, of people. It's just and if you do want to go to work for a corporation, yeah you can. But then you've mm-hmm. always got this ability, there's just this big marketplace of people just working with other people. And I think it it, it you're is You're gonna you're like...
0: gonna love the podcast I recorded with Erica last week. She talks <laughs> about exactly the same thing. Really? Yeah. And she her motto in life is is um all jobs are a scam. And exactly to your point, like <laughs> I I won't go into it too much now because I'll too many spoilers, but oh, I think yeah, you I think you're better like you and her, I'll introduce you on Twitter definitely, after. Definitely, Because um, I think there's, yeah, there's some huge alignment with what you're talking about. And I think it's true, I think, right? I mean, I'm kind of conscious of not repeating everything I said to her, but I think um, it's true because there are stuff you could do, you know, your, your spectrum of knowledge or what you want to do, probably more importantly, is maybe not a full-time job for someone but yeah. it could be a 10% of a job for 10 different companies or, or whatever. And I think, yeah, I think we're going to see a lot more of that, whether it's you know a change in the way freelancers work or agencies work. I, I, yeah, I think it's spot on. I think that will happen more and more and more. And I think there'll be some people who want to work in a company and uh, there's nothing wrong with that. I think what's strange on social media, it seems like everyone has this, there is only one size fits all to everything and everything, you know, and that could be, on any subject matter which i think is ridiculous you know there'll be things you think are a good idea that i think are a bad idea and there'll be things that you know ideas you have that i think are good and and it's i don't know it's strange but i think that there will be people who do want to work for a company and want that autonomy or want to be told what to do and not have to think too much and there'll be people who um don't only want to sort of give five percent of their time to a company and uh, you know and whatever you know whatever works for you is great right
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. I, th- I think I think it's coming. I think I chatted about this on uh, on my own podcast as well about it with a, a girl who's started their own, her and a friend started this mobile app to give basically career advice to youngsters because she thinks it's terrible and we chatted about it and she was just like, she said it's coming and she said if it does get to that, it'd just be great for all younger people because especially a lot of people that get, I feel sorry for some youngsters now who are like, I want to be a gamer, I want to be a YouTuber. Mm. and there's people that's not a thing and i was like well don't be saying that i like right okay cool go for it go for it and go and work out how to become a youtuber yeah. and then that could open avenues of how to then charge people for teach them how to edit their own youtube videos or you may become a bit, of, a bit of an editing agency on the side and you've suddenly got this thing of right i want to be a youtuber and that's giving you three income streams straight away instead of like me traditionally going to university, getting a software development degree, just going working, I'm now pigeonholed as a software developer and I've yeah. not got the. And the, the other thing I get frustrated with, and I think education lets us down, I don't have the soft skills necessarily to, to have been able to promote myself as a freelancer because yeah. it was such a niche thing. And the only thing that university taught me separately was management skills, there was a lot of management courses because they said eventually you'll climb the career ladder in whatever your topic is, and you'll <laughs> yeah. become a manager, so <laughs> we will teach you <laughs> how to be a manager. I was like, that's a very presumptuous thing, and that was like the first year. Yeah. So, yeah, it's and I, think that's, I think that's where the gap is, that I think that I'd basically make it the pandemic's definitely like sort of, there's been yeah. this massive growth with a great resignation and everything, and something stupid like 40% of people by April this year we are handed in the notice and I think the numbers have actually tracked correctly and I think if, if people had these soft skills that'd only be God knows what the, the number had been definitely another 10 20 percent more I believe anyway
0: yeah it's funny isn't it how being a youtuber gets such bad um, bad press from people and I, th- I think you know it's like any industry isn't it it's it is an industry and there are lots of opportunities there and there will be many youtubers who are earning far more than you and me put together. Yeah, and on. yeah, I think as people say it's not a job or it's not a career, is yeah, it's nonsense really. But
1: yeah, it's just the same as what, well, what, what do they say YouTube is? Is YouTube now, I can't want to replace, so all the old formats of media, they've mapped them to a new format of media. So Radio's been replaced by podcast. Is it TV series has been replaced by YouTube? So instead of just going, I want to be, uh, I don't, I want to go, more, I want to be in Coronation Street. Yeah. It's just, no, that's acceptable, but a YouTuber is just basically the modern version of being a Coronation Street actor, let's say. It's just, just, like you say, it's all about perception and and the support of it.
0: Yeah, and, you know, as YouTube grows, it's going to become even bigger, isn't it? And as as we get older and the the generation coming through who live on YouTube now, you know, they won't even be watching telly. They won't be watching the BBC and, and the rest of it. And... And if you're good, there is there is a lot of opportunity out there, and you know only, you don't even need a huge huge audience. You know the whole thousand true fans thing. Oh, oh yeah, I am yeah. just going to say
1: that you beat me to it.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. It's yeah. true. So you know you have access, worldwide access. Yeah, it's phenomenal. I, I think anyone who says that about YouTube and podcasts, for that matter, is is um, is really really wrong. Um, moving on, is, uh, moving on now. So we've talked about some of the good decisions you made, best advice, lessons. What, what's something you you really
1: struggle with? Um, so I think I've literally just touched on it. I don't know whether I, I genuinely thought I'd segue to this, but <clears throat> sales and marketing, I think, again, the soft skills. <clears throat> so I, I think having this sort of frustration of working and going, right, I'm going out on my own. I'm going to take control like I say, take responsibility. Um, and I've got all these software skills and everything but then having the ability to build something or researching to build something that people want and then promoting it, marketing it, the communication you need Uh, customer support's been a bit different. I think I'm quite good at that anyway.
0: Let me interrupt you then quickly. So, so looking out, looking in, sorry, from on, on what you just said. So I see you every day on LinkedIn and Twitter with, you know, with your insightful posts, your, I mean, you are one of the most regular posters I see. And I don't mean that in a, in a negative way at all. It's like, it's amazing your content production, your podcast, which um, is well worth a listen. I'm kind of, where, where exactly is the challenge then? So, you know, you say you struggle with sales and marketing, mm-hmm. but you're putting out this content stuff regularly. What, what's the actual struggle? Where, where's the issue? Okay.
1: That's what I was coming to. So I've got, um, so a friend who's been on the podcast a couple of times as well. We actually have a regular chat now. We have a, we call it a mastermind. So we did this thing about having a weekly mastermind to help each other out. And okay. he's like, God, oh, he says, you're so good at marketing. You're great at marketing. You're a great marketer. And I instantly go, no, I'm not, no, I'm not, uh, you know, because there's this sort of perception that I'm not. And then when I'm trying to think about it better, it's like, I do actually know shitloads. I spent the past three years. So I spent 10, 12, 15 years holding my software development skills. Yeah. I'm now going my, I think it's my my personality trait is I just consume so much. Instead of being in out, in out, I'm like, I try and fill up this bucket as much as I can so it's overflowing. And I think now three years in it's all sort of like trickling out the bottom. Okay. And it's the sort of the holes getting bigger if that's a <laughs> and that a bit of an odd analogy. Um But yeah, I think think it does come down. The sales and marketing is purely about mindset. And I think I was going to start viewing myself, like you say, going back to the start, a tech entrepreneur. Tech entrepreneurs like Elon Musk are amazing at marketing. When he goes and does the stuff, even when they did this stupid, what's the name of the truck, they threw that aluminium ball. He's worked up to that,
0: right? I mean, you you must have seen the old stuff of him, um, you know, in his PayPal days and yeah, yeah. Like that, that That wasn't a natural... It doesn't it doesn't come naturally to him, or it didn't, at least, I don't think.
1: No, it doesn't. I think it... Because he comes from the similar background as me. He's like a techie, a developer. Um, so, yeah, I think it is that. But I think it's having that mindset switch of, I am a tech entrepreneur, and a lot of that comes to marketing. I think the, the thing that I always... I think the frustration and, and one of the things that I probably feel like I struggle with is because it's not a... It's not necessarily a trackable thing. Like I say, because i come from a, a world of logic yeah. originally, having that going like, right, I'm doing all this stuff on um, LinkedIn and Twitter, recording podcasts, trying to build up this sort of get myself out there. And then it's not actually tracking into anything. Say one yeah. uh, of the products I'm trying to promote the most, it's not actually getting enough users on there. I'm not getting enough paying customers as quick as I want. I think that's where you then sort of tell yourself, well, I'm not great at marketing yet, because I'm not getting the return that I want to see. Well, it's interesting when, when my friend says like, Oh, you're great at it, you know, your stuff. And then when you say like the amount of content I produce, um, is, is good. And it's so consistent. I think that's always good to hear, but you don't always necessarily yeah. see that from, from, from this side of the computer, basically.
0: I think it was, I think what's funny is, I mean, You and I sort of probably knock around the similar Twitter and LinkedIn circles, if you like. And what amazes me is how many people talk about the lack of marketing, skills, knowledge, ability, execution in startup founders. It's almost like a running joke on on Twitter. (laughs) Of course it is, yeah. It is. But but what that makes me think, all I keep thinking about then is I feel like there's a business opportunity there. Because, you know, Mm. they always say, if you can fix a problem, you've got business. And I don't know what the answer is just yet, but I feel like every startup person or entrepreneur or anything has this same issue. And you, like me, no doubt, have read every blog post about growth hacking and viral marketing, blah, 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 and all this. Yet, I feel like there must be something there (laughs) that, I don't know, it's strange. And you did a tweet the other day about staying focused, and this is one of my big problems is, all I've got in my head now is like, oh, what business can I launch that will solve the marketing issues for every startup founder out there?
1: But... Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's funny you said that. I think I've really struggled with that as well. And I think the past few months, going back to when we started starting that meditation, I've kind of gone, um, I think as well, you kind of like see exactly what you say, you get analysis paralysis. You see all these growth hacking techniques. And you yep. just go and try and smash them. So I think what I've done recently is gone. I'm doing a post every morning on LinkedIn, Monday to Saturday, and then repurposing that for Twitter.
0: Yeah.
1: And then I'm also going into them communities we mentioned. So building in public community, I'm trying yep. to be active in that. And, um, be just be active on the platforms every day as well. And I think I'm trying to take away everything else and just see, Commit to that for six months like you would. And I think I've done a post on this. i try to do a lot of posts linking fitness and business because I think there's so many crossovers. Yeah. So if you want to lose – so if you want to run a marathon, you don't just go and run for a week and then when yeah. you can't run the marathon at the end of the week, yeah. you, 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 you'd never expect that. But then I think – and I think it's because of all the content that comes out around startups, and that's the reason I started my podcast. I got frustrated of people going – Oh, well I built this product, I put a tweet out and then I had 10,000 pounds a month coming in. And I was like, it's bullshit. It's absolutely bullshit. What you didn't hear is what I found out is she'd been building a Twitter community for three years and had yeah. 14,000 followers. So she built this product for them because she was in that community. Um, what, what was I talking about? Yeah, so the, and the, the consistency thing, I think has just been that for me. So I'm kind of, Instead of doing all these things, what's the th- what's the few things I can be consistent with on a yep. weekly, monthly, weekly, daily basis, and then just trying to so I'm spending the rest of this year having zero expectations of it, but just committing to it and then and then going from there because I think everything I've done in the past hasn't sort of worked to the level I want, so let's try something a little bit different.
0: Okay. So even though you're not having any expectations of this, are you, is there stuff you're tracking? Is there stuff you're looking at to to ultimately analyze?
1: Yeah. So I'm going to start going back to see, um, just how posts are performing on LinkedIn okay. to, to start with. Um, that's the sort of the, the issue, that <laughs> issue, the, the thing I want to start tracking first, um, And then just things like follow account, I know it can be a vanity metric, but there's a reason that... The reason is to follow it is they're obviously holding up their hand and going, I want to hear from you more. So obviously, tracking your follow follow account on Twitter and LinkedIn is good because you can see whether... If it's It's flatlining... It's a a guide, isn't it? Of course it is, yeah. So let me ask you
0: a question then. So, I mean... And again, I don't want this to turn into a content marketing podcast because I, <laughs> I, I and you could probably talk for hours on that. And um, so, content marketing, I'm a big believer in, right? And I totally get why you're doing what you're doing. Have you ever tried anything else, a bit more
1: direct? Um, yes, a little bit. Um, not, but again, not enough. I think I've, I've, I've stuck my toe in the water and didn't really get what I was expecting and kind of stepped away from it. Um, And I think it's difficult. I'm chatting about, again, to my friend about it. He quit his job for six months and tried focusing on building his his software product. And because he was on this sort of, he didn't have the safety net of the job, which I, I have at the minute, which is probably a bad thing. He went and did a lot of this direct outreach. And I think because I've got the job, I'm using that as an excuse not to do it, I believe. Yeah. And I'm trying to. I think I'm trying to skip to the bit. So I want to get to the point where it's a little bit more automated. If you get, you get what you mean. You know, you know, you've got this sort of. You've kind of got the flywheel up enough that what you're doing is bringing in the sort of. It's, it's, it's funny delays. you just said about your
0: job actually, and I. I it's, the reason it's funny is because I was thinking about this very topic this morning. Um, I so I left my job as you know, maybe some of us know. I don't know, but. And I had X amount of pounds in the bank, which was my bank roll to give this a good crack. And it's, it's ticking down obviously as it likes to do and even more quicker than y- you always expect. <laughs> but I found that my mentality has changed in this last maybe two or three weeks than it did when I left because that number's now got to a a, a point where I'm like, right, okay, shit's starting to get real now. I need to, um I need, I need, but it's it's fun that mindset change is really interesting because you yeah. go from where it's like, all right, it's not a problem. I was I was going for this whole slow growth thing and I and I, I sort of stand by that to a certain degree.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, easy come, easy easy come, easy go, that's what I said to myself.
0: Yeah, but then as the money yeah. gets a little bit lower, like your mentality changes from going, right, okay, I'm gonna do content marketing, which is great. It's like, ah, oh, right. I I need to sort of like start driving some stuff now, and your mindset changes from uh, and it gives that that sense of urgency kicks in. You're like, okay, and you start thinking differently about what you may do. And what's because obviously you said about you know you still got your jobs like a safety net. And I think sometimes yeah. when you have that safety net, it's it's very easy to feel safe and not not worry about things. Of course, but, it is. <laughs> Because but interestingly, I I have a, a guy I chat to in a similar way you do, um, for kind of a mastermind thing, and it's just you know checking in every now and again. And he doesn't do any content marketing, but he just does um like cold email outreach and direct stuff, which I hate because I hate receiving them. Yeah. But in the industry he's working, it, it kind of makes sense. Um, you know, and he's offering free trials and you know xyz and whatever else um but he is getting more take up than so i say to him oh, you know you should be doing youtube videos and talking about your, your company and the, the whole daniel Priestley key person of influence sort of stuff and i think i but I'm, I'm rambling now but i think what i'm trying to get is i think there's somewhere in the middle that works well for both right so there'll be some companies where it's 50 50 or it might be like 70 30 one way or the other and that's that's the reason i was asking you know have you done yeah. anything like direct and
1: yeah i think as well like um so that's the consistent i wanted to try but i'm also trying to lay stuff on top so the safety net of a, of a nine to five is also a little bit of a, a godsend because i'm comfortable enough now in that job that i can set aside i'll be quite open 300 pounds a month to put in, so I call it growing the side hustles basically. Okay. What can I use for that 300 quid to test stuff? So it's funny you say about um, relying on content marketing. So maybe I need to have a word with myself and go on the direct outreach, but I'm trying to learn about sort of paid marketing as well. And what's the sort of lead gen stuff I can do that's unique to me to get people in the door. So one things I'm doing for one of my products, it, it can produce reports for people, basically. Okay. So what I've done is I've gone and created an Excel sheet that does something very similar, and I'm going to try and run paid ads to that and see if people are then willing to use it, which then gives a soft introduction, introduction into the product that makes it even easier than the Excel sheet. So okay. yeah, I'm I'm also trying to layer on things like that. Um, But yeah, like I say, it, it is difficult and I think I'm the same as you. I just hate direct outreach. So I'd rather try content marketing and try paid ads and and, and try try that route.
0: Yeah, it's tough. Isn't it? I mean, I'm in a similar boat and I think myself, oh, sometimes you've got to pick up the phone or drop an email. <laughs> and, but it is tough, man. It is tough. Um, the next question is about perception. I know we talked about it a little bit earlier, but do you think people's perception of you is accurate?
1: Ooh, I hope so. I hope so. I don't try and um, I don't try and for when you when you create all this content, I try and come up with the ideas and then write the ideas like each week and then turn them into to content. So I try and make sure it's genuine to me.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and try not repeat or try and manufacture something that's not me. So it, it is. I hope it is, I hope it is, definitely. So what you're yeah.
0: writing on social media every day is something that you feel like you would say if you're sitting in the pub with a mate or your wife or whatever, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it, it, it does come from experience. It does come from a genuine thing. It's not going, right, okay, so he's posted that and he got all these shares. I'm yeah. just gonna repurpose it. Now, if you go, well, I completely agree with that, but here's my thoughts on it. Oh, it's the counter. And go, well, he's said that. I've got a different thought about it. I'm going to do a post that's completely opposite of my thoughts. Fine. But if you're just basically going, I'm just going to nick that for purely for engagement purposes. No, which I don't. A of, which a
0: lot of people do, don't they, on social media? No.
1: I think I think you've got to take inspiration and use, and, and like one of the things I've been doing recently, if you see sort of a structure of a, twi- a tweet that's yeah. working really well in getting the engagement, turn that into a framework and go, um, this isn't my idea, by the way. I've done this on a course recently. But like, that's engaging people, just plug and play your thoughts into that structure because that structure works. So I do do try and take inspiration from people, but I always make sure I'm trying to be true to myself as much as I can. The it's funny, we've talked about personal branding as well. And this is the sort of issue I've got with personal branding is, is it genuinely you because you're actually trying to force yourself to be authentic? To get engagement, so is that genuinely authentic? (laughs) That's what I mean. So I think that's the trouble I have. But yeah, the perceptions I try and put out there genuinely. If then people start commenting or asking and trying to pick holes in, or trying trying to argue with you, let's say I don't say argue is a word. They they've got completely opposite opinion of you. At least you can then stand by it and explain your reasons instead of just you know probably not commenting because. You've just repurposed it, so I think yeah. that's that's the way to judge it. Is that if if say on LinkedIn, a lot of people start commenting and start disagreeing with you, can you stand by your judgment? Even if you hold up your hands and say, "Well, actually, I never looked at it like that." That's a great point. That's fine. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think if it's if it's it is as true as you you can be on social media, then yeah, I mean that's the way forward for me, and that's what I try try and be.
0: I'm really curious about um about your process here because like i said earlier you, you do a lot of, put out a lot of content and it's and it's valuable content right it's not just um, a quick throwaway tweet that and then, you know i'm sure you do those as well as as others but mostly your content is really quite informative uh, talk talk me through your process of actually how you do that or how you come up with enough to 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 generate every day putting stuff out of value
1: so I'm going to, can I plug two things, but they're not my own, is that all right? Yeah, man, plug whatever. Yeah, so so I've been really struggling. So I've done a few courses and one of the okay. things that, one of the things that I really struggled with consistency was um, a lot of people say, just turn up in the morning, have the list of what you want to do and just go and do it. But what I was struggling with, and I'd have, I'd have stints in like January, I think I got to like 20 days of posting on LinkedIn every morning. But then you have like, you just have, you just go blank. And what I did is there's a gentleman called Justin Welsh, um, W-E-L-S-H. He's on LinkedIn, he's big on LinkedIn, he's big on Twitter. And he's done two courses, the $150 each. And one's called the LinkedIn OS and one's called the content OS. And he's basically just got this framework for um, coming up with ideas. Well, there's a couple of other guys as well called um, Dickie Bush and Nicholas Cole. Yeah, And they just have these basically content matrices that you just can plug and play stuff in. So okay. I've, I've looked, re, especially recently, I, I think my content's going really well and, and I feel like I'm a lot more consistent is because I've done these courses and I've tried to not just turn up every day because I don't think that's, it just doesn't work for me. Right. And go back to things like the four hour work week that, that first really inspired me and it goes on about batching. So what I try and do is just get down all the ideas and then batch it because there's so much technology now that can just schedule everything for you. Yeah. Um, so yesterday yesterday morning, actually, so a Sunday morning, I got up about eight, made a coffee, and then basically scheduled all the LinkedIn posts for May and then repurposed them for Twitter for in the mornings at the same point. Well, you wrote them all yesterday as well. Wrote them all yesterday. And that's from this plug and play thing that Justin Welsh teaches and these content matrices, which is basically you go, um, let me just double check what my list is for LinkedIn. So
0: hold on. So yesterday morning, you wrote 30-odd pieces of content?
1: 24, yeah. Okay. And two newsletters.
0: <laughs> wow. Uh, and how long did that take? A couple of hours. That's, I mean, that's that's amazing really, isn't it? Because I think, uh, you know, tell me if I'm wrong, but I imagine if I said to you every day, you've got to knock one of those out, you'd probably spend half an hour doing one. Exactly. And that's,
1: that's what I struggled with. And then what had happened, you get to 9.30 in the morning. And this is before I was even doing the I know his meditation. So I'd probably be at my desk from like 6.37, trying to get all this stuff out. And then you can't. So what I found is this batching's worked well for me the things I do turn up and do every day is, um, I have, I want to do it. So I have a, a tweet that comes out that is repurposed from the LinkedIn content. So yeah. I write it long form and then reduce it into a tweet. Okay. But I do a goal goal of today and build in public for that day. And if they merge into one or if they're not, because you know, and that's why I'm, I never used to like Twitter, but I'm getting into it because you're just saying I am writing this. i I'm batching, you, you can even go, I'm batching, so I did this yesterday morning, I'm batching content for the month and you just tweet about it and yeah. you're building in public or whatever and you've got you've got content so that's the, 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 the two genuine things that I do in terms of creating content every day is just tweets, one or two and then my time is now spent actually getting involved in because you're wasting all this time trying to come up with a, a post every morning, yeah. while that could be better served going on in the conversations it, with target audience or the community you're in or actually providing value to someone else's post yeah. while if you if you're just spending the morning trying to get like you say it takes 30 minutes to get a post out um it's
0: a lot of pressure as well isn't it every day that yeah. just, and, I, and i know you've mentioned his name several times in this chat so i'm sure you're well aware of the gary v's 1.80 strategy aren't you
1: so yeah so i i'm kind of and this is the courses i did they mentioned something similar and um, Mine's more of the yeah, so I do the one I've not really done that, but I use the Dream One Hundred concept. Do you know about that one?
0: No.
1: So the so Gary V's one is you go to a Twitter, it's a hashtag into it. So you go into yeah, the hashtag. Yeah. What the Dream One Hundred is, is something very similar where let's say your target market is um I'm trying to think of one that might be quite is low. the
0: Dream 100 one? Is that Dicky Dicky Bush's one?
1: So I've got it from a gentleman called Russell Brunson, but I think it's an actual book by, oh, okay. um, it might even come from someone like Chet Holmes or something. Um, I can't remember the book, don't know what the book is, but basically what it will what be it is, let's say you're, um, so a good example, let's say you're trying to, um, you've got products that can help podcasters. Okay. So what's the what's the 100 people on different platforms that podcasters go to and interact with? And it's yeah. a, a great one, a great example is like Facebook groups. There's so many Facebook groups now for podcast hosts. So can you just go into that group and be an interactive and then your target audience is there? So I've kind of got a bit of a dream 100 that I wanna refine is that, right, my target audience follows these people on LinkedIn. Are they okay. posting every day? Yeah, so just right, they've posted today, I read the post. Can I provide value to that post or do I ever thought about it or do I want to say something? Okay. Yeah. And if if I don't, I won't. So it's not one of these where I'm trying to force it. It's genuinely.
0: It's like taking the $1.80 strategy and amplifying it or adding a bit of. Adding like the $1.80 strategy on steroids, right? That's it's taking it to that next level.
1: And it. I don't know whether it is. You know, I think it's. I find it a little bit easier because I found the $1 strategy really overwhelming because you're
0: going to reach it depends how literal you take it doesn't it i mean yeah i suppose yeah i i looked at it and i and i I don't really do it but i should but funnily enough my theory behind it was the theory's good but in practice it's just a bit much and like you i think if you did it where you crossed it with a bit more selective of an audience then you get a lot more value i think
1: yeah. And I think I'm trying to refine it. So again, going back to Justin Welsh's course, he goes on to something similar. He doesn't call it the dream 100 and he does it sort of like 10 to 15 people, but find the right 10 to 15 people who are posting every day and yeah. actually just try and get a relationship with them. So it's a bit more, instead of just trying to um, hack the traffic that they have, it's more as well building a relationship and being visible and, and then get, getting on from that. So I think that's something that I'm using my time every morning to do and the the great thing with that is some days it might be an hour an hour 20 i'm on there doing that yeah or some mornings it might be like 20 30 minutes because people are posting as much or yeah yeah what it is it just feels a little bit more natural and there's no pressure that day to then um just be churning out content i think one of the things i want to try and do every day is actually write towards a blog post or um just do that but again that's come off the back of I've got a list of 55 blog post ideas I want to write. So instead of turning up every day and then having this blank screen,
0: yeah.
1: what's that recently happened to me is having this way of just generating ideas and just recording them and then going, right. So Sunday morning, here's five, five ideas and now start padding it out. And then once you're in that floor, like I say, I probably spent two, three hours, but then got 24 posts scheduled, which, yeah like you say, if i had to do 24 days with a post would it take me three hours probably not Each yeah day, I, probably, I might be. get
0: you to i might get you to share those courses with me afterwards that's <laughs> something I, that's something i struggle with I, I i i'm trying to be more active on social um but it's hard it's, you know i've got i've got a notion database with all my ideas in but coming up with those ideas is i need more basically right and like you yeah. i don't want to put out rubbish and i you know, it's, it's easy to put a wishy-washy tweet out. Anyone can do it. But yeah. I know that if I put a wishy-washy tweet out, then nothing happens. And it's just, it becomes that vanity metric going, oh, great, I tweeted today. You know, you know, feeding the algorithm or whatever, but you're not really because it's a shit tweet. <laughs> and, no, and no one engages with it. And then the, but yeah.
1: Well, the content, the the, the one called the content OS by Justin Welsh may work for you because what he does in that course, he he gives you his notion framework. his framework it just goes and he uses notion for templatizing getting the ideas this content matrix and i think the content matrix has been good because i've seen it a few times but basically what you do is you just plug in what you want to talk about and i think i've got like 30 ideas which are relevant to me and then it's a case of going right so what can from this list of what you've not so i tick off when i've spoke about it yeah. and I'm trying to get the 30 empty and it'll be kind of like so one of the one the other day was like I, I love automation and I'm good at setting up automation and then your post will be is it actionable motivational um, I can't remember the names um, aspirational, present future um, observational, contrarian and then you just go all right so actually I can do um, a listicle post about yeah. automation. Because that is genuine to me. I know what tools I use. This is what I've automated. And then okay. that just plugs straight into a post and you just like bang schedule it and then away And that's
0: your you building public one done, right?
1: <clears throat> no, that's that that would be a schedule one. That's that goes in the catalogue that go is going out every day.
0: Oh, I see. And you do a building public one on top. So the building public oh, one I is see. a tweet every
1: day. So my LinkedIn ones are always every morning it's automated, but I make sure I'm on LinkedIn when it goes live to then okay. interact with anyone on the, on the post. But I don't have to worry about writing it. And then that gets repurposed on Twitter. So that it goes live as well at a similar time. And then I go and write a building public one, actually manually every day.
0: I'm taking a lot sense. away from this. this is <laughs> what? Just last question on this topic then, because um, I am conscious of your time. What is,
1: what schedule are you using? So at the minute I'm using one called Social bee B-E-E. Yeah, it's in, yeah, in the animal. Okay. Yeah. Good, bad, ugly? Um, I got one of these lifetime deals, so for me it's been good. Um, The only thing that I'm finding limiting, which there's one called Hype Fury, which is quite expensive, but yeah. what Hype Fury is really good at is, let's say you put a tweet out and it goes, I say viral, you're getting a lot of engagement in. You could yeah. actually schedule it to actually um then do a reply on it to go, oh well if you like this post, check out a link to my um products which will help you do X, Y, and Z. But it'll only do that if you're getting so much engagement. Um uh... so that's a good one. And I think it can do Twitter threads as well, Hype Fury. While Social B doesn't have that yet, um I think the threads are coming soon and <clears throat> I don't think they have the, the comment ability. But for in terms of social be is good, because if you've got, like for me, you've got a personal set of profiles, you've got your business set of profiles, maybe yeah. you've got multiple set of business profiles, you can create workspaces and then you, you can plan. you will put all your, your profiles in that one workspace yeah. and then you can do a schedule around that. So you've not got this mass list of everything you're trying to do. Yeah. Go You right, I want to schedule my personal one, go to the personal workspace and where we go, right? E opinion and where we go. And things yeah. like that, so it works.
0: Okay. Interesting. You give me a lot lot of food for thought there. <laughs> um Okay, next question. Tell me something you are really passionate about.
1: Oh, um God. So many things. I think and you could probably tell I got a bit excited about software and automation and all that lot. I think Yes, yeah, obviously a software developer, so I I'm I'm passionate about that and trying to help people with software, so I'm building my own products at the minute to okay. so that's has been a big focus. And I think the thing that I'm I'm sort of got, getting passionate about is data and analytics and helping people who struggle with it make it simple. Um so yeah, so I built a product around that called elementary analytics. Um
0: as someone who's worked in many businesses where presentation and analysis of of analytics is so overcomplicated. i feel like it's there's a lot of um a lot of upsides to your business and the idea i guess
1: yeah it is and i think it comes it's one of these where it was kind of like i never thought i'd have i'd be building a product like that but i was involved in another startup with a couple of friends and we our social media blew up basically uh, we had 180,000 180, followers just on our Facebook page alone. Okay. And it's before the Facebook really clamped down on sort of the organic traffic. So we were getting a post and just do really well. And we get all this traffic to the website.
0: Right.
1: And I was just like, I just can't. So we kind of changed from like a, an app based business to sort of try and be a media company and go down that route. And it was like, right, how can I make sense of all this traffic? Because I was logging in about stuff and I just didn't like it and luckily i've yep. been a software developer i was like i just want to build my own dashboard for the app business stuff my own freelancing website when i tried to freelance at the time i like my blog and all this lot and just built this dashboard roughly and then was like oh this is is this got legs Showed it to a few people and then it's kind of escalated from there because it, yeah I'd like to say it is it is uh It is is difficult. It's analysis paralysis. And I think because I come from it, not from a marketing standpoint, I come from it from like, I want simple five set of data, more from a programming background to go like, you get taught university that software and um, not software, human computer interaction, people can remember plus or minus five plus or minus two. So basically between three and seven stats or pieces of data. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: So I just went, right, what's the five key stats I can look at, at every platform and then just go from there and then yeah, we need to dig deeper. So that was kind of my thought process for, for building it instead of looking at what competitors did or what marketers would genuinely kind of want and, and, and go down that route of so
0: So if we had lots of um CMOs or whatever listening to this What, what would be, what's your sort of your elevator pitch for it?
1: Um, it's basically just a, an umbrella to bring uh, a product that'll bring all your marketing data into one roof. It shows you trends and performances. So how are things improving, how are things getting worse? Um, and we also have a reporting suite in there. So you need to report back to the CFO if you work in a marketing team, you've got to go to the CMO or you're a CMO asking for reports. Once you've brought everything in, you just click one button and a report's produced in about 30 seconds. You don't need to go build it yourself. If you've got another website and another set of social media traffic, you can pull that all together, click go again, and it just spits the report out. So it's basically trying to save as much time as you can with all this data, automate the process of bringing it together, and then just spitting it out in 30 seconds instead of building a report yourself in three hours.
0: Knowing what I know about marketing teams, I'm amazed that this isn't flying off the shelves. <laughs> every. <laughs> I genuinely, like. I mean, I, I won't name names, but I remember one particular company I used to work at. Like, They, we spent more time reporting data than actually doing activities to impact the data. And I'm not kidding either. Like that, that, it was a big company, and there'll be ex ex um, colleagues of mine listening to this, like laughing. But we used to joke about it all the time. Like it's just you know, you spend all this time pulling data, pulling data, and then presenting it, and then it big oh, yeah. data. And uh, honestly, I, I I cannot stress to you, nothing no stuff didn't always get done on the back of the data being reported. And I'm not joking you when I tell you that a lot of more time is spent actually digging the data out, analyzing it, meeting about it, than actually doing the work. To It's incredible. Oh, yeah. Um, so so what, 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 tell me what sources can you pull data from?
1: So at the minute, we've got Google Analytics for your website traffic. Yeah. We then pull Google Search Console information, so how well you're doing in the search rankings. We then plug in... Google ads and Facebook ads is in there as well. And then you can plug in a Facebook page, an Instagram business account, your Twitter account, and then a LinkedIn company page. Wow. And they can link it all together. So instead of having it all sort of, right, I wanna look at Google analytics and you've got all your websites. When you first log in, you can create, I call them widgets. So basically you start with your website and once you see them starts, there'll be all these buttons to sort of link other platforms to it. So let's say you've got, um, let's say you've got, say, a clothing brand and you're promoting them on Instagram. You put your yeah. website in and you link your Instagram account. But then you've got like a tech-based website that you are using Twitter. You can have two widgets, one showing your website stats and your Instagram stats, the next one your website starts and then your Twitter starts. So it's however you want to stitch up your stats as well. So it's not necessarily, you have to pull them all in, you can pick and choose.
0: Is it uh, customizable then?
1: It's, well, I say customizable, not to the extent that other people do it. I basically try and make it as simple as accessible as possible. Right. But what you want to link together, you can. And then we do the heavy lifting and the decision-making to show, right, You've added Instagram, we'll show you these stats from Instagram. You've added Facebook, will show you these stats. So you're not having to select everything yourself. It's kind of, I'm trying to not make it as as customizable as competitors because I wanna try and save people as much time. So they just go, here's the stat, At Google Analytics, uh, Google Ads, Search Console, and i'm promoting it on instagram and where you go and it gives you the widget you can drill deep when you drill deeper it just pulls the stats that you've all linked together
0: you're you're doing a similar thing to i'm doing on the opinion where i'm trying to give not give people too much control because i know that you add too much human element into it and it doesn't become as valuable
1: yeah yeah completely agree you just want to you just want to get up and running and like you say your prime example was reporting and I built it to solve my headache of looking at the stats. The reason I put the report in is, and is exactly what you're saying. I worked for a company and we were quite a small tech company. And we, as a development team, three or four of us, but we'd be working with all these different departments and we had access to the production data and we'd be like producing reports or building screens and dashboards for people. But the CMO was like, I'm producing this report, this quarterly report help me with this, help me with that. Can you get this data out? The marketing tool I used that we built. I can't get all this bit out. Can you go a bit further back? So, and it took him months to do this. And we was in the meeting with him. The owner of the company used to get us in a lot because if they wanted something off the back of it developing, they'd just go, right, go and do it. I'm like, yeah, about right, fine, fine. And it was a really thick report and he'd give it to him. And he, I always remember he went like Oh yeah, cool, I'll read that later. And went, like, went backwards and just threw it on his desk. And I'm just like, so when I when I'd kind of built version one, version two for myself, I always remember these the the CMO and the marketing team having to do all this stuff. Yeah. And it's like, you, you don't want to do that. You just want to know, are we you going up? You, how we Are we, good? How are we yeah, going you down? Want,
0: you want something to tell you that's actionable, right? An actionable insight. Of course, yeah. And that, and that might be, oh, this is performing really well, so we'll spend more money here. Or this is performing badly. Let's have a look at it and try and work out why.
1: Yeah. Um, it's just, yeah. again, I just want it to be a... A trigger. It's probably not. It might not be in depth to give you maybe all the insights that y- you want, that you you probably would hope for. Yeah. But we, we we do that, and like one of the things we've put in recently is, um, I call it the insights email. So we check every day to see if your website traffic has gone up by five percent, and if it has, we go right, cool, something's happened, and because you've linked all these platforms to it, we go and pull in. All right, so you've got an Instagram account. Have you had more website visits on your Instagram? Cool, right, we'll include that in the report. And then you get the link in the website, in the email, you click it, and then you've got this list. So you can see in the last 24 hours, we've had some good performance on that. We may not necessarily give you all the data you may need to figure out what's the key. It's like
0: a flagging system, isn't
1: it? Yeah, it's just an insight. It's just, and the way I wanna see it is like a trigger. We We may not necessarily be able to solve all your headaches to review what's the best post you did yesterday? But at least we can say, well, something happened that worked and it's this platform that's done it. Oh, and actually this post got the most engagement. Are we right? Or at least you can go, well, you're on the right platform, but it wasn't that post. It was something else. Whatever. But it's again, it's yeah. all about just triggering Taking it so it's an eighty twenty principle as well, taking away the eighty percent of the stuff you don't need to do to try and get to the twenty percent where then you go, right, this twenty percent's got the value. So that's what I yeah. want to try and get people to as quick as possible with a product.
0: No, mate, it sounds it sounds really good. And do you know what? This is why I love podcasts so much, because I mean obviously you and I have known each other a while, but I never knew exactly what elementary analytics did. Yeah. And I think Again, like a huge generalization probably, but I probably assumed I thought I knew what it was. Um
1: that mean marketing's not good enough.
0: <laughs> well, but that's my, well, no, that's my point is I, yeah, I like, I wonder how, but you coming on here, this podcast and, you know, like I know obviously I'm no Joe Rogan or whatever, like not gonna be huge amount of people listen to it yet, but this is why I love podcasts because a five minute conversation with you about your products and all of a sudden it's like, oh shit, actually, yeah it's a lot different to what I probably assumed in my head. And it's funny. I, I, I think it's got huge potential. I I do. And I genuinely mean that because I think that so many marketing teams do exactly what you said is like, go through reams and reams of data, get total analysis paralysis, or even, even like you said, don't even look at it. Yeah. Um, and what you want is, you know, I've run marketing teams before and what you want is, okay, this did well why did this do well what can we repeat or take away from it to, to inform our decisions going forwards and and whatever this did badly okay why did this do badly I, I know that's not what you're showing us but you need sometimes to be pointed in the direction of something that's underperformed or overperformed to to make actionable insights and 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 you know work your strategy off it so i think it's hugely hugely beneficial Cool. Maybe, maybe what we will do is we'll we'll take out uh, this portion of the of the podcast, and I'll, I'll send it to you, and you can put some paid uh, paid spend behind it or something. Going. Oh, yeah. Hey, what what like is elementary for, analytics?
1: Yeah, worth a try. Like, <laughs> it's worth a try. You never know, Cause... man.
0: Um, right. Last question then. When you think about the future, what do you see?
1: Oh, I think we've already we've already touched on it. Actually, I think. Um mention the great resignation and sort of this utopia I've got for everyone becoming their own freelancer. Yeah. I think I think Yeah, I can I can see it. I can see it. Maybe not to the scale that I'd love to see, but I think it 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 can happen and I think it's only gonna get faster there's there's all this sort of people have a go at NFTs, but I think they're missing the, the point is Web 3, the blockchain, <clears throat> these sort of things are just giving people the ability to to just be self-sufficient. So, yeah. like just with an NFT example, whether you love them or hate them, um, you produce a piece of artwork. And if someone goes and sells that for an absolute fortune, the way you construct your NFT is you get a kickback. So you're getting recurring income or... Let's say you're getting a piece of the pie every time something happens and i think people like artists and, and maybe online creators and content creators might not have been able to um earn enough earn enough i don't know whether it's the right word earn, earn for the value that they're actually giving back in the world it could be a case of they're paying peanuts someone pays peanuts for this image or a piece of content and then they're making a fortune of it i think the way that things, the decentralization, the blockchains come in, um, you'll still keep, continue to get a piece of the pie and it'll be, just be good for you. You've got, you've, you've just got this more stability from, from sort of a creator point of view. So I just think that's just, just going to fast track, fast track it. I think there's, there's a little bit of me personally due diligence around that. Cause I think it's very wild west at the minute. And But
0: Yeah. I was going to jump in and say that I, I do agree with you. I think, the problem is with NFTs and crypto and blockchain. I agree. I think ultimately there's a, there's a massive there'll be in the future in a big way. The problem is when you get this new tech and these new ideas, you always get the people jumping on it, like trying to make a quick buck, and and it almost gives it a bad reputation, and people look at it in the wrong way, and you almost need that then to settle down and to sort of you know find its find its ground and then rebalance itself. Um, yeah that's that's the problem i agree with you i think ultimately what it's bringing in is is hugely important and will be um a good thing for everyone ultimately but we almost need to get all the scams and stuff out of the way and all the cowboys who are just like rinsing it for um for what it's worth at the moment
1: yeah i think as well i think the, the thing i've seen with it is is not necessarily the cowboys as well i think because it's so early in the journey even the genuine big platforms have got security issues and have have, have yeah. been hacked or people's been finding loops and everything and what
0: well, this is the problem with web 3 right web, the pro- one of the biggest problems with web 3 is it's still built on web 2 yeah u- ultimately isn't it yeah. and yeah <laughs> which doesn't <laughs> make a lot of sense but
1: no well that no that's the thing i think there's not the yeah, there's, there's, there's still a lot of cycles going through it. And I think I did a, I did a tweet in a LinkedIn post, I think, and I can't remember which platform it was, but I said, like, I'm sat on the sidelines, I'm stretched, I'm hydrated, I've got my shin pads on, I'm ready to get involved. I'm just waiting for the perfect time to jump in. And everyone's like, someone's like, well, why are you, getting, why are you waiting? Just get involved. And I was like, well, I want to wait for something that excites me, that will bring, I can bring loads of value to. And also it's going to give me the value in return or I'm contributing in a way that I believe it's going forward and things. So I, I think it's, normally I jump in both feet first, but I think with talking? Are you there's, talking, there's are you talking
0: from an investment point of view or are you talking from a,
1: this uh This is more from my sort of skill set of a developer and also tech entrepreneur. I shouldn't do that. As a tech entrepreneur, what can I. Yeah what can I bring into the marketplace and stuff? Cause I, I got involved. Some people come to me with an idea and I just was like, with NFTs, I was like, I don't want to get involved. Cause I, I just didn't, just didn't excite me. And I think it's the, I think it's got to be from everything I've learned over the years, it's got to be a combination of it, excitement, return on investment, validate the idea that it is actually going to be worth something that you're going to be doing either. Yeah. If it does, if that does fall off from the wayside, there's some off the back of it. Um, so I think that that's from my point of view is just more of a due diligence for my time, excitement, and energy and skill set. I think
0: it's probably a, a wise move, seeing as what's going on at the moment. But yeah, um, definitely. Listen, Phil, I wanna I really want to thank you for taking the time this morning. Or so. my pleasure. Um, my pleasure. You know, one of the one of the beauties of this podcast is. I, I set out about trying to do it because I wanted to learn from people and be informed. And, and my logic is if I get, you know, if, if people teach me things and, and share valuable things with me, then obviously my audience gets the same benefit. Um, and you, you know, I mean, you've got a podcast, which you know, feel free, which is a good one. And I think you, so, you know, probably as well as I do, you never know what people are going to talk about. And what I'm finding is so you're the fourth person I've spoken to so far okay. and everyone, every person has brought me real insight mm-hmm. and information and takeaways. And so I want to thank you for that because, um, yeah, you never know what you're going to get at the beginning when you, when you sort of arrange these things and yeah, you didn't let, you didn't let me down. And I think that it, <laughs> oh, it's, great. it's great. Honestly, I've I've written some notes down over here and I, and I will be tapping you up for some other stuff, but <laughs> Um, well, do you want to pl- do you want to plug
1: your podcast quickly? Yeah, so it's it's something that I started in 2020. A bit similar to your journey is to just put myself flight there and trying to go over the fear. So uh, we've we've touched on it is being in the software space, yeah, and listening to a lot of these similar podcasts about startups and getting your own thing inside hustles. I just hated the 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 conversation that was oh, it's easy. I just did this and now, you know, I'm getting, I quit my job and, and and I was like, I've been doing this for 10 years. It's not that easy. So my podcast is called Find Your Side Hustle. Yeah. And it's, it's evolved into a bit of a mishmash where it's me talking about my failures and what I learned from the journey of working on mobile apps, um, e-com stores and other SaaS products and, and all sorts of things. Getting people like yourselves on, Um that have maybe don't like, I think you're, you're you're a great candidate. You done this you started something on the side and was quite reluctant in terms of going full time on it. But that's yeah. the, the great great thing because you're getting you're getting genuine insight from people who's who's been on a longer journey than than what they wanted. So my goal with the podcast was to try and get people's learnings that have done it a little bit longer, and the 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 story isn't like look at me, this amazing success. It's sort yeah. of this is why it's taken me here are three things that worked and three things that I wouldn't do again. So that's my sort of goal of the podcast is actually to counter the rubbish that I hear all the time is that for everyone yeah. that's, that that did this tweet that made them millionaire or whatever, they had a three-year journey. Or if there are people that aren't at that level, there's still people that's been successful, but it may be not, the success on terms of a monetary scale, like the other ones deem it is, but the, the journey is there, and there's a lot of stumbling blocks over the way. So that's what I try and uncover in in my no, podcast.
0: No, I think it's good. I, I think you know, adding a bit of real life into any topic is is a is a good thing. So and that's on all podcast platforms. Find it Hustle.
1: It's on yeah. It's on the main main one: Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Deezer. It's a yeah. I, I, I chuck it out to everywhere I can. So yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, um, where can people find you if they want to get in touch, chat stuff, whether it's about meditating, whether it's about entrepreneurship, whatever?
1: So, the best place to reach out to me is actually on LinkedIn. That's where I'm most active. So okay. Phil Hyphen Tech uh, on LinkedIn. So that's just go to LinkedIn forward slash Phil Hyphen Tech, and you'll you'll find my profile. So yeah, just drop me a message on there and. Um, yeah, send me a connection request and we'll, we'll get chatting. So that, that's the platform I use the most.
0: Excellent. Phil, mate, honestly, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. No, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate Cheers, it. Cheers, buddy. That was 10Q Interview with Mr. Philip Hughes. Um, if you made it to the end, thank you. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, feel free to share any thoughts uh, on the episode on any of the social channels at 10Q Interview everywhere you may look. That's pretty much all from me for now. Make sure you have hit subscribe. Um, also feel free to go and have a little check out of some of our past guests. There's some real crackers on there. And I think you'll really you know, love listening to them. Anyway, enough from me now. You can crack on with the rest of your day. And the next 10Q interview episode will be li- live and with you very, very soon.